0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 74 movies, one cage. This is episode 32, Snake Eyes from 1998. I'm Mike Manzi.
1: And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And this movie starts out amazingly, incredibly, and then unfortunately dives down from that amazing opening 13-minute tracking shot.
0: Yeah, this beautifully unexpected tracking shot at the opening of this film is phenomenal. I was just flabbergasted watching this. (laughs) I mean, it's got all the hallmarks of a great shot like this. Like, you don't even realize it hasn't cut for, like the first five minutes and then you're like oh my god this shot hasn't cut
1: what's kind of weird is that when we watch these movies you know i take notes i know you take notes and so i'm looking up and i'm looking down and i i realize like a couple minutes in i'm like i don't think they've cut yet because like you see cage in the beginning walking on the phone and i know that they're sort of doing like a walk and talk but i sort of assumed it would be kind of like sorkin-y like walking down the hallway on the phone but then i'm like i don't know if they've cut yet so i have to rewind it to the beginning. And I watched it again. I mean, there are supposedly cheats. You know, there are places online that you can find out where the cuts are. But for the most part, I mean, it's a pretty good looking 13 minute tracking shot to start this movie. And like what's awesome about it is that we had these three amazing action movies that on the last episode, City of Angels, we talked about how it was kind of like a come down. It's not bad, but it's not what we were hoping for. And this, like the 13 minutes, it's like, all right, we're back in it. Like this is Cage Club. This is what Cage Club's all about. This 13 minutes is just sort of like it's just so exciting.
0: Yeah. First thing I noticed when Cage is on screen is he's back with this high energy, high intensity, full-on confidence in his character. He was almost mute in City of Angels. You know, he he just did a lot of face acting, kind of. Uh, This is like what I noticed is like, yeah, he he's here to play. We're gonna get a great performance from him. Brian De Palma's directing this film. So I'm sort of expecting it to look really good and have a lot of tricky sort of photography going on. That's one of his trademarks. And it's all happening right here at the start. You know, this great tracking shot, this great performance, all this energy, and I'm on board for this ride.
1: And it's not even just the directorial stuff that really gets us amped up. It's like the whole plot and setting and everything. We're in Atlantic City, you know, the Vegas of the East Coast. It's a new spot for Cage, but it's sort of similar to what he's been used to. There's a massive, don't call it a hurricane, Tropical Storm Jezebel outside. It's raining. There's, like, thunder all throughout the movie. They're at this boxing match between, like, the champ and this young upstart contender. The building is about to be demolished. Like, this is the last event. Like, there's all these different elements coming together, and it's all captured in this 13-minute opening shot that between just the energy of, like, what's going on and the way that De Palma shoots it... It's just so exciting and exhilarating considering how like little action there is I mean there's things happening but in terms of just it's more like camera action like this might be like the most exciting 10 minutes of Cage Club yet it's awesome
0: yeah, the palm is really good at, I guess, like you said, like making mundane things exciting with the way he's shooting it. You know, I, I agree. It feels like an action film, but the only action taking place is a guy walking down a hallway, walking down another hallway, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's intense. It's just got that energy behind it. And what I also love about this opening is, like you said, they're establishing all these things, and we get a lot about Nick Cage's character right here in these moments, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> (laughs) He's uh, dressed in gold. He's got like a gold suit, a gold shirt, a gold cell phone. At first, I thought maybe he was a bookie or a pimp or something, but it's revealed that he's um, a detective that grew up in Atlantic City.
1: Yeah, not only is he a detective, he's sort of like a crooked detective, a little bit of Shades of Bad Lieutenant coming. He's walking down an escalator, right, or he sort of walks into a place where he's not supposed to be, and he pulls out a badge. And I was wondering, like, is he a cop? Like, is he actually a cop, or is that a fake badge and he's just some kind of con artist? And then you see him shake down Luis Guzman and get, like, those $3,000 and stuff? I'm still not sure. And eventually, as the movie goes on, he becomes this cop who is willing to take a bribe, but also sort of seems to have, like, a complicated sense of morals. It's kind of like the most honest, crooked cop that I've ever <laughs> seen in a movie.
0: Yeah, he's got, like, strange ethical boundaries, sort of not unlike Batman, right? <laughs> like, we come to learn, like, just, uh, he won't kill, he's never killed anybody. Like, that's just a line he won't cross, you know, that's point of no return for this guy. He presents himself as a celebrity. He's this hot-shot AC detective who walks his beat with an attitude. Everybody knows him. He knows everybody. And he's just feeling the, the charge of the crowd tonight, and it's fight night, you know? And it's sort of like the end of an era in Atlantic City he's spending it with, you know, one of his best buddies. He meets up with his friend played by Gary Sinise. The
1: character's name is Kevin Dunn, which is weird because the actor Kevin Dunn is in this movie, huh. and <laughs> apparently, Kevin Dunn is like the only cage in action. Like, he'll come back in Frozen Ground. He plays the pay-per-view announcer, that guy in a tuxedo. Okay, okay. He's been in a million things. I've seen him in all sorts of stuff. He's really the only actor or main person behind the scenes that'll ever come back to Cage Club. What's kind of weird is that when they got to set originally, supposedly, according to the internet lore, Kevin Dunn, the actor, checked into the hotel and was brought up to the penthouse suite. And then they quickly realized that the penthouse suite was actually for Kevin Dunn, the character, <laughs> for Gary Sinise. <laughs> and so Kevin Dunn, the actor, got kicked out and had to go stay at like some like chain hotel nearby. It was confusing, and apparently both Gary Sinise and Kevin Dunn didn't like the name confusion. It's not a name that necessarily means anything, right? Like It's just kind of like a military-ish style name. It could be anything. And to cast someone in the movie with that same name is like weird and coincidental and just sort of unusual.
0: You know, and especially since I didn't catch his name until well into halfway through the film. I mean, there's another character, a girl in this character. I never caught her name. I just called her Girl in White or Girl in Black. Yeah, you're right. Like, that mix up is just, like, so unnecessary.
1: Yeah, I don't really have names for anybody in this movie. I called her Carla Gugino, I called her Redhead in Red Dress. The film is so focused on, like, what's going on that they don't really spend time. Like, they introduce the characters. It's not like in Rumblefish where everybody says Rusty James in every sentence. Like, it's not like you're hit over the head with these character names. There's people in on the con or in on the event that's happening. There's the boxers and there's Cage. And that's sort of it. It doesn't matter who these people are. It just matters what they're doing and who they're aligned with.
0: Yeah, and I think that's establishing a certain tone, you know, we're going to be watching at first, it's sort of like an assassination thriller, and then it turns into sort of a conspiracy thriller. The audience needs to be left in the dark about certain things. Certain things don't matter as much as other things. They're trying to get a lot of stuff across visually in this film. It never hinders the story to any degree, you know, names are sort of not even necessary to a degree. (laughs) You have Cage, who's the man in gold, you have Carla Gugino, who's the lady in white, you have Gary Sinise, who's the Navy guy. Very easy to distinguish.
1: What I love about this movie, what I love about the introduction, is is that this is the second movie following Peggy Sue Got Married where we're introduced to Cage on TV. Ah. Like, in Peggy Sue, he was the appliance salesman, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Crazy Eddie. And in this movie, he's Ricky Santoro, and he's just like this personality. Like, they're not filming. He's talking to Kevin Dunn, the actor. They're getting ready for the shot, like the introduction to the the boxing match. (laughs) He just shows up, he's like, hey, am I on TV. I'm
2: on TV. I'm on TV. TV. For Christ's sake, I'm on in 30 seconds, will ya? I think people would vote for his face, don't you? Yeah. So Why that's, that's the only way you get anywhere these days. You gotta get your big, fat smile all over the tube. Hi, Rick Santoro. Hello, Rick Santoro.
0: I'm Ricky! This is where I thought he was a bookie, because he's like, yeah, Kevin Dunn's like, place a bet for me, and he's like, you got it, you know? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, like, he's a bookie. You know, a couple of feet later, oh, he gets like a phone call and it's like his uh, girlfriend. So it's like, OK, there's some more sort of establishing information. And then he goes to place the actual bet with a bookie. So it's like, oh, he's he's not a bookie. Like, oh, man, is this going to keep happening? And sure enough, it's sort of like keeps happening. Like he chases Luis Guzman down. I'm like, is he a drug guy? And then he's like, oh, OK, he's a detective. There's a lot going on here your
1: expectations are also kind of inverted again with his relationships like he gets a call from his girlfriend
2: hey baby how are you i was hoping to be you yeah happy almost birthday of course i'm still coming i want to be there when it turns midnight oh yes yes i'm bringing something with me uh it's a surprise well if i told you then that's right baby no no way i'm not going to give you a hint no shameless monique you can't say that on the yummy all right i will give you a hint i know you really want one and it's going to keep you very very warm but he also gets a call from his
1: wife and like there's all this stuff happening like you learn okay so like in this 13 minutes right like you find out that he's got a girlfriend that he has a wife that he's got a big time gambling problem that he is sort of he knows everybody and is willing to like, do you know little things like place a bet for kevin dunn you find out that he's a cop that he's not a fake cop that he's not some kind of pimp or drug dealer you know that he grew up in this town you know that he knows the boxer tyler
2: Whoa! neptune high right check it out right here Go see Devils! You and me, Tyler! Yeah! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Go! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Whoa! Lincoln, Tyler, Lincoln, Tyler, Lincoln!
1: Ow! He's been in this town forever. He knows everybody here. You learn again that he is the smoothest of operators, that he sees that ring girl, right? And he's just like, you should be doing something more with your life. Like, Here's my number. Give me a call. (laughs) You learn that he sort of has... Like, he's respected enough to be seated that closely to the Secretary of Defense. You learn that he's, like, super into boxing, super into gambling. The camera's, like, panning and, like, tilting and, like, zooming in and showing all this different stuff. And, like, you're hit with, like, all this stuff. We've talked about it several times, but, like, talk about efficient storytelling. Like, it's almost kind of like an info dump. But it's so much of an info dump that, like, you don't have time to breathe. It's exhilarating.
0: Yeah, it, it just feels so natural, and it's you know, it's in real time, right? Like everything is coming out in real time. So, I think that adds to how natural it comes across. Like it's not cutting back and forth between two guys at a table telling each other all this stuff about them or something something to that degree. Right. It's really really efficient.
1: What I like about this movie is that it really does a good job of subverting your expectations. Not only about cage like we were talking about, but like what characters are good and what characters are bad. It's a little obvious, you know, especially like partway through the movie. That garrison is kind of the, the bad guy but he, he comes off he's just this high-ranking navy official this beacon of goodness and he's like offering to get cage a job because he knows cage is kind of like a crooked detective he's like hey come down to dc i'll get you a job like really sort of buddy buddy with this guy
2: there's the man whose life i want <laughs> you're late you know me always upholding justice where'd you get in last night i flew in from norfolk with following the secretary hey is that him Tuck in your shirt, I'll introduce you. Jesus, I get your front row seat, you show up looking like Don Ho. Well, uh, pardon my sample affair, Admiral. Why are you so uptight? It's night night! Running security tonight. I got a lot of my mind. Kirkland's high profile. He's all over the news and brings the nutcases out of the woodwork.
1: Carla Gugino kind of comes off like as this sort of shady, like she looks like sort of like the femme fatale, like she's in on some kind of nefarious scheme, it turns out that she's actually good. Gary Sinise was sort of, you kind of expected him to be bad, but I think the fact that Carla Gugino was actually good was kind of a nice little twist. At least it caught me off guard.
0: Yeah, this is something else they establish in that opening shot, is that Cage and Gary Sinise grew up together, went to high school together, and they sort of, you know, Gary Sinise went off and joined the Navy and became a high-ranking official and and Nick Cage became like a a detective in Atlantic City Gary Sinise he's an American hero pretty much in this movie so you put it you know especially after watching The Rock I'm not weary of anybody in the military turning against their country by any means but he's like there with the Secretary of Defense and I think the Senator he's got like this entourage and he's there he says to Cage that he's on duty protecting this guy right he's like I asked for this detail I told the Secretary of Defense but you know it comes to light that that Gary Sinise is not trustworthy at all. And, yeah, Carla Gugino is... I thought she was going to be, like, the assassin at first. And they do a good job of, like, using old, you know, noir sort of imagery to set her up that way, too.
1: We ultimately find out that she's the reason that, like, there's this murder, this assassination plot. Like, she's so good and so good of a person. Not Not even necessarily, like, it's not like she's really going out of her way. She works at some, like, military government complex... And they're developing some missile defense system, and they're faking the results. And she finds out that it's not actually as effective as they're saying that it is. And the military sort of opinion, at least, you know, Gary Sinise's military opinion, is that even if it's not working as well as they're saying it's working, it's still going to save lives. And she is of the impression that it shouldn't be rolled out until everything is sort of as good as they say it is. So she shows up, this is all in the opening tracking shot, This the whole 13 minutes to start the movie, she shows up at this boxing match to talk to the Secretary of Defense, give him the documents and say, they're lying to you, here's the actual truth. We don't find out, because this movie is sort of told kind of like in a little Rashomon kind of way. It's not like we think we know all the facts up front, we're intentionally left out of things We just sort of have the pieces filled in later. So we don't know what she's talking about. We just see her walk up to this guy who's a high-risk target who's supposed to be protected. And then as soon as she's talking to him, the guy gets shot and killed. It seems like she sort of set him up, distracted him, and took him out. It's those noir elements that De Palma uses that sort of subvert our expectations
0: yeah i think misdirection is like a huge theme of this film too right like it's all about you think you know what you saw but you didn't really see what was going on sort of behind what you were supposed to be looking at and you know to a degree i think that's very tricky to do i think they play with that pretty successfully to this degree maybe they do it a little too much like they have the girl ringside in the red dress and they're like look at her look at her but then they sort of have Carlo gugino in the white dress and the filmmaker seems to be saying no pay attention to her And, and And they just do that like a bunch. Like this movie is told through a lot of flashbacks and you get a lot of characters' points of view. So every time you get a flashback, it's, almost made to seem like it's the truth you're watching and that this is like the most important information you know that the story has to tell you at the time and a lot of you know as the flashbacks go on they kind of contradict each other and it causes the main character to question everything that's been going on up to that point. It's interesting he used the point of view in the flashback to put you within that character's head you know because that's just what that character wants you to think. It's a kind of a subtle trick and it almost Harkens back to the opening shot where that tracking shot goes on so long it almost feels like i'm following him through the hallways myself like that's my point of view
1: i didn't think of it like that i do like that interpretation i just saw it like this is cages i think you could interpret it either way that it's either you as sort of this third party who's sort of near cage and just watching him do his thing but it also works as cage's point of view that he has like an idea like he sees Gary see see this girl in the red dress sees him go over to her sees the two of them leave then we're watching the fight and we're sort of seeing just him
2: that seem right to you Kevin that is right in so many ways no I mean who's she with not the guy next to her beautiful woman alone at a fight sexy lady what's the problem
0: we got to get out of this town. You know that, don't
2: you? <laughs> Would you stop going all Jiminy Cricket on me? I mean, you can't help yourself, oh, can Really, I mean, get your butt down to D.C. I call a few guys I know from Annapolis, arrange some interviews, get your G.S. rating. You're in our program. Bureau diplomatic security pays about double what your salary is here, and the money's clean. All right, all right, you got to fix my life later. I got money on this. I want to stay in a good mood, you know, keep positive because this is fight night. Don't make Michael grow up here. This isn't a beach town anymore; it's a sewer. But it's my sewer, Jiminy, and I love it. I kick around about six square blocks. Everybody knows me. I got the whole town wired. Someday, if I manage to get my face on TV a few times, maybe I'll run for mayor or something. But that's as far as I want to go because I was made for this sewer, baby, and I am the king.
1: he sort of like hears a gunshot, and looks to his left. The Secretary of Defense is dead. Carlo Gugino gets shot in the arm. And it works sort of both ways, and that's kind of cool. In terms of like filling in the blanks later from different people's perspectives, I think that it's cool and it's effective, but like it's sort of frustrating. We learn so little each time. It's like we're making a jigsaw puzzle of like what actually went on here. And like every 10 minutes, we just get, or we're given like one more piece. It's a way to sort of extend the tension and extend the drama but it's kind of frustrating to me at least in terms of how slowly it all sort of develops
0: I think this is for me where De Palma's style sort of becomes a problem to a degree I I think he's too focused on trickery with the camera it kind of doesn't make the story as smooth as it could possibly be you know what I'm saying like with these flashbacks they could just as easily be conversations and I think they might even work better that way but he wants you to know that you know multiple things are happening at once and characters are crossing over and they might have just missed some vital information and not even realize like it's all these little split screen camera shots where like two completely different things are happening and then oh at the end of the flashback they they align or they they cross over again and yeah i think it just becomes kind of tedious and it Actually, instead of engrossing me more with the style and everything, it's kind of pulling me out.
1: I completely agree. Like, it feels like at times that De Palma's, like, too influential on the movie. I mean, you know, as a director, you're able to do whatever you want. It seems like it's too much. Like, there's too many directorial flourishes. Like, there's too many, like, sort of tracking shots. Even outside the opening one, there's a lot of cameras following people. There's the split screen shots. There's all these different things that I just wish that like we told sort of a straight story instead of being bounced around. We're essentially being thrown off the trail of what's actually happening not through, like, the script, but through, like, these directorial flourishes, and it's kind of frustrating in that regard.
0: Yeah, it's very overindulgent, I would say. Um, I think this is after De Palma did Mission Impossible, which wasn't exactly a movie I would have expected him to make, you know? he's not I didn't really peg him as an action director, he's almost like a student of Hitchcock in a lot of ways, like, he's very much into suspense and mystery and, and thrillers and things like that, so I felt maybe this was a way of him to get back to some of that, and he just did a little too much. Some of the shots are beautiful. Like, there's there's those really deep focus shots where you have someone's eyes, like, right in the foreground on one side of the shot and then someone way deep in the background in another shot on the other side of the shot but it does feel like he's sort of compensating and trying to tell people like no look like I still got it you know I can <laughs> I can still pull off all this trickery in his former movies it worked really well it's what he became known for but you're right I just feel like it's it's just overstuffed
1: I don't really want to defend this movie too much cuz I didn't love it I mean I love that opening tracking shot but it sort of falls flat for me but like, I guess you could consider all these flourishes and all these crazy things that are doing with the camera, it sort of mirrors Cage's ascension or Cage's sort of development. As soon as the Secretary of Defense gets shot, he as a cop sort of like takes control of the crime scene and they lock the arena down, nobody can get in, nobody can get out. Well,
2: what the hell is going 187 on 187 with an officer involved shooting, Secretary Kirkland was shot in the neck, Paramex just wheeled him out and that's the perpetrator. Security detail leader took him out during the shooting. That's right. Commander Kevin Dunn, I'm with DOD. Who are you? Atlantic City, Major Grimes. I'll take it now. No bullshit you will. This isn't my blood, all right? It's the secretary's. I was sitting right in front of him. I'm a homicide detective and a material witness. This is mine about six different ways. AC cops got no business in the casino. This is strictly DGE and state police. We're not on the casino floor, Gordo. And this arena ain't the Millennium yet. It's Atlantic City, New Jersey, and that belongs to me. I'm acting case agent until relieved by appropriate federal authority. Now, you want to help? You go tell your men to get all the media out of here right now. Unless you want the 9 o'clock news to give the secretary's wife and kids a close-up look at his internal organs. Phil, Jim, make this whole arena a crime scene. Shut it down. Nobody goes in or out until the main investigating party gets here. You're the ones that tell them to seal the doors? You can't hold 14,000 people in these goddamn exit tunnels. Yes, we did. And yes, we can. Those are 14,000 eyewitnesses! Excuse me. We can detain it for as long as it takes to get 14,000 addresses and 14,000 phone numbers and take 14,000 pictures, now that I think about it.
1: And so he starts going around trying to figure out what exactly happened, who the killer was, because after the guy gets killed, you see the camera sort of tilts up, and you see Gary Sinise kill the shooter. And Cage is trying to figure out, like, you know, how this happened, who's involved, trying to uncover this conspiracy, and he goes and he finds there's the fight footage... And he finds out that the fight was fixed, and then he goes to talk to the boxer, to Tyler, the guy from his hometown, and he just starts grilling him. He's as confused as we are right now, and we all sort of know that things aren't as they seem, things aren't clear because the story is sort of muddled intentionally so, but also because all these directorial things are just sort of like distracting us from what actually is happening.
0: Cage goes into detective mode. He just like snaps right into it, like locks down the crime scene, you know, the state police show up and he really gives them like a mouthful. He's like, this isn't a casino yet. It's still my jurisdiction. He even takes uh, Gary Sinise's character who's sort of like has this panic attack because he's like, I left my post. I'm going to get court-martialed and Nick Cage is like no man like if there's one thing i've learned you just focus on what you did right and just don't even talk about what you did wrong and he sort of helps him get through like this situation and in retrospect you realize why he chose this guy to be a patsy for him in a a lot of ways cage is you know super detective like he's really like he might seem ostentatious or flamboyant or whatever like you know he almost has like a little liberace look to him to a degree with the rings and stuff but the guy is good as at his job he goes up and checks the footage of the fight, it deduces that the boxer threw the fight, so he's got to be in on it. And that's a great scene where he goes up to the boxer's penthouse and starts grilling him.
2: Come on, I saw you and you saw me. And don't pretend like you don't know who I am, girly man. You want to look like a knockout, but when you heard the gunshot, your eyes were open in half a second. Not your fault, totally understandable reaction, but it kind of ruined the performance, don't you think? Look, what the hell do you want from me? The man knocked me out! I looked at the fight tape, Lincoln! Yeah! It was a phantom punch! A little bad Hollywood acting, but the athletic commission might find it interesting. And a second after you go down, an assassin fires. Well, that's some coincidence. I guess they don't call you the executioner for nothing! And you sign my kid's autograph!
1: Like, what's weird about Cage's character is that he is so good at his job, but he says at one point in the movie that all he's doing this for is because he wants to be mayor. I think the problem with his character is that he's too good at his job, To have the aspirations and to sort of have the personality and to have the character flaws that he has. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's too good of a cop that in, in a normal world, and maybe it's saying, maybe this is a commentary on careers or society or the police force or whatever. But it seems like he's good enough as a cop in terms of investigating, in terms of trying to figure out, piece things together that he should have been able to ascend the ranks just based on merit alone.
0: I almost get the sense that he would have excelled in the military more than his buddy did. He's just born to do this kind of thing. But I also feel like he like he's a celebrity but he is like a B list celebrity. Like I feel like he's comfortable in his little space right like he's got like he said he's got like six city blocks or something that he patrols and everyone knows him and he's comfortable with that and it's like mayor of atlantic city like that's like enough for him you know it's like and it could happen to you he's comfortable giving away half of his fortune right like he's a <laughs> modest guy even though he is like very flashy but it's part of him as the conundrum you know <laughs> the characters out there but definitely
1: as cage is going around you know Grilling the boxer, talking about a conspiracy, he pulls Gary Sinise aside and he's like, "Look, I think we have a conspiracy here." He's like, "We got the boxer, we have the shooter, we have the woman in the red." He's like, "If we have two more, like we have a conspiracy. Like all it takes is five people." And he doesn't realize that he's talking to one of those two more. But it's like at this moment that Gary Sinise is like, "Oh, like he even says later, he's like i had no idea you were gonna be able to get this far.' Like I had no idea you were <laughs> yeah. this good of a cop." Yeah. And so he starts to tie up loose ends. He like, goes to meet up with the woman in red. And with this guy who was planted in the crowd to tell the boxer when to take a dive, it's sort of one of those classic scenes in a conspiracy movie, a like thriller, or whatever, where he just starts tying up a loose ends and he just pulls a bullet in both their backs. Like, there's so much happening here. That, like, this is the scene where you realize that he's in on it before you even have time to process that. You're like, oh, he, he's just going to kill. Like, he's ruthless. Like, not only is he corrupt, but he's ruthless
0: yeah he's the ringleader like that's what i deduced. is that yeah. at this point like this is his plan like i had always suspected that he was part of the plan but i didn't expect him to have like sort of been the plan which was just like a double shock you know because like, <laughs> oh man like <laughs> what else is going on at this point like <laughs> and now they are all looking for carla gugino right because she can't get out of the casino because it's on lockdown everyone's sort of looking for her uh, cage is back at the looking at the security monitors or something like that he's like looking and looking and looking and then when he finds her gary sinise automatically knows about it because he's sort of patched into the hotel security or whatever it is and it becomes a chase for her
1: he is after her because he thinks she's a person of interest which she is but she's not involved in the way that he thinks she is gary sinise is in it because she's like the whole plan was to not only kill the secretary of Defense but also kill her like he's got to tie up sort of two sets of loose ends he's got to tie up the set of loose ends that knows about the failure of the missile plan but he's also got to tie up the loose ends that know about this sort of failed assassination plot and so they're both hunting her cage just wants to question her sinise wants to kill her this is sort of baffling. Like, she's, you know, Carla Gugino's always been beautiful. I mean, she goes up to this sort of schlubby guy in the casino, and he's playing slot machines. And she basically just like, hey, I'm pretty warm. Do you have air conditioning in your room? Essentially, like, hey, are you in town for the convention? Like, let's go. Out, <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's go do something. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, like let me let me just play these slots a little bit more. Did, you re- like really, really dude? Like- this
0: part is insane. Like, this is where I start having problems with the movie because <laughs> of Carlo Gagino's character. During the shooting and the assassination, she her glasses break and they weren't part of her disguise like I assume they were. Like, she really needed these glasses. But they don't set that up. Like, you don't see her blurry vision up until this point now where we need her to not be able to make out faces, right? So she's sort of groping her way for the very first time, mind you. Like, she's already been able to sort of steal a shirt and get changed in the bathroom and, like... (laughs) Get the blood off of her. Right, and, like, blend into the crowd and evade other people. And now she, like can't see two feet in front of her and she's like groping around the casino and she finds like this kind of nebbish slubby fat guy and i'm thinking she just needs his glasses you know like she's gonna grab the glasses off his face so she could see again she wants to get i guess like somewhere safe so she can make a call or something like that and she's trying to pick this guy up cage and the other guy like spot her because they think she's like a prostitute (laughs) cage is like no no like that's the girl that sat next to me like and then that's how he finds her
1: i was so confused Used when her blurry vision kicks in yeah. because they do not set it up at all and a lot of this movie is kind of first person shots like whenever they flash to us learning a little bit of more information it's whatever character is sort of telling that story that we see it from their perspective before we know that gary sinise is a bad guy we see him walk over to the woman in red he's talking to her and the camera's just focusing on her boobs so there's a lot of first person so like that's established But then we cut to Carla Gugino, and we go to her first person, and we just can't see anything. (laughs) And I was like, what is going on? Like, what is the purpose of this? I don't, like, it doesn't really work. It's just weird. Like, she doesn't necessarily need to be... Like, there's no real... Yeah, she
0: doesn't need to be blind because no one really knows what she looks like. Even Gary Sinise doesn't exactly know what he's looking for up until that point. It becomes, like, a major part of the next ten minutes. Like, (laughs) you know, like, she gets into the same elevator with Gary Sinise, and even though he's four feet away she shouldn't be able to even know he's there because she's that blind like she really like that's how blind they try to make her out like she needs coke glasses to see yet she somehow can sense his evil presence or something you know so like they want to have it both ways they want her to be blind but they also want her to know gary sinise is the bad guy following her so they're breaking their own rules like right away i don't that's the that's the reason i have a problem with
1: it like it never pays off there's no reason for her to be blind i mean she still has to get out of there right like they could
0: yeah she never gets glasses for the rest of the movie like (laughs) as soon as cage sort of rescues her or like gets her in his possession she doesn't really say like you know i need to go get glasses or anything like that like she has no problem sort of following him around for a few minutes doing whatever she needs to oh they sit in a stairwell and talk so i guess she doesn't really need to see much
1: and that sitting in the stairwell and talking like you mentioned to me last night is a new cage connection it's two movies in a row staircase conversations and it's it's <laughs> something that's probably happened in other movies that we just haven't noticed but it's just it's another little weird cage you know having deep heart to hearts with characters seeing these women in these time of crises just while sitting on staircases and so carla's on the elevator with gary sinise and they get off cages in the other elevator talking to the security guard trying to figure out where they're going and there's like a race between cage and sinise to get to her room or to get to this guy's room, and Cage wins, and it's sort of funny that he kicks the guy out of his own room. And this is when we find out that Carla Gugino's actually a good guy. And it's, like I was saying before, it's sort of, like, mind-blowing, because we just see her on the run, and I guess in terms of narrative, we wouldn't be following this bad guy, but it's still, like, a cool reversal. She comes clean of Cage, and this is where we learn about the missile plans and about the corruption, and this is where Cage and us sort of get the pieces to this puzzle, they start to fall into place.
0: Yeah, she lays it on him that she works for the government, this whole missile plan, snafu that's going down. And she's like, I saw your buddy Kevin. He's like the trigger man. He's the bag man. He's the guy. Like, I saw him. And he's like, no, it can't be. It can't be. You don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, well, would you let me finish? I love that part where he's like, she's like that's not the whole thing and yeah by the end of it it's like irrefutable Cage like has to go up against his best friend and he's got some great moment here where he's like you know I didn't want to know this you know like this is something I don't want
2: to do look I'm sorry if I who gives a shit if you're sorry what are you mad at me for because I didn't have to know you decided to have this problem not me my world would have gone on turning just fine, but now either way I look, I have to do something I don't want to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do not want to
0: do this! It's kind of cool because it might not have been done like really well, but like what I like about this moment is we see the cages character have his crisis of conscience moment we find out that like at least I did at this moment was like oh that his friend is a bad guy to him now like his friend yeah. crossed like a line that Cage wouldn't in his mind because people are dead so I really like that they tried to sort of do that to his character where it's like now the audience is going to be more behind him because while he may have come off kind of like a scumbag from time to time he, he will do the right thing he will do his job even if he just wants to be mayor <laughs> he still has like that code to abide by It's almost as like he's thinking back, like, at all those times in his life, and it's time to set things straight.
1: Yeah, they really establish, they firmly establish that he's got one rule, basically. He's like, I've never killed a man. He sort of has loose morals everywhere else, but as long as he doesn't kill a guy, he's sort of okay doing whatever. This is when he learns out that even though Gary Sinise is, quote, one of the most honorable dudes he knows, (laughs) like, he's willing to go above and beyond and sort of reach that level that Cage isn't willing to, it's
2: too much for Cage. Kevin Dunn. You're positive he's the one you saw with Robot before the shots were fired. Let me tell you a little something about you Kevin Dunn. He is one of the most you know honorable dudes you know on the planet. Yeah, I know him, and you could be wrong. Yeah, you could. There were people rushing in front of you, and and you were nervous, and
1: you were scared. You could be wrong. Meanwhile, we cut to Gary Sinise, and, like, he seems to be, like, in charge of this, but he's still reporting to higher-ups, and he kind of gets, like, in trouble, right? Like, they're like, what's going on? Why isn't this cleaned up yet? he's like, oh, there's this cop, like, don't worry, I'll take care of him. Cleaned up a couple loose ends, like, everything's gonna be fine.
0: Yeah, he has the conversation with the dad from Home Alone, and there's, in the, like, a boardroom, right, with the model of... The new casino behind them—it kind of almost looks like they're on a spaceship to a degree. <laughs> like, and this is one of those sort of moments where the guy just lays out everything that's happened. Right? He goes to Gary Sinise. He's like, "You're telling me, like, <laughs> you know, I signed up for killing the Secretary of Defense so you could get your missile program in, and I could get money from my new casino, and the boxer could do this, <laughs> and, you know?" And it's like, in case anyone just got back from the bathroom, here's where we're at in the movie. But <laughs> I always. Kind of appreciate scenes like this.
1: They keep cutting to the TV report, and we find out at this point that the Secretary of Defense did die in the hospital. And we also find out that the missile system production was gonna continue. And so you're like, oh no! Like Carla Gugino, even though she sort of she got this guy killed, she was trying to save all these soldiers' lives. Like it's all sort of for naught at this point. Cage kind of like comes to grips with his betrayal. Like everything's kind of crumbling around him. Gary Sinise is this bad guy. Not only is he a bad guy, but it looks like he's gonna win. It's kind of a lot to. Candle, his whole world has been inverted. He was kind of king, right? Like earlier in the movie, he's like, I am the king. Like, these are his six blocks. Like, he's sort of in charge of everything. And kind of like Meg Ryan in City of Angels, this is his moment where he's like, I don't have control over anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really like him sort of from here on out because it's, like, new territory for him. He's almost, like, never done the, you know, like, he's never been this valiant before, right? He stashes Carlo Gugino somewhere in the construction site.
1: just, like, a little, like, boxcar-sized room, and then there's just, like, the outside wall. Like, it's just, I don't know what it is, but she just, he's, like... out here like you'll be fine there's nothing for her to do in there it's just like out of the way
0: he literally just like locks her out of the way so that like (laughs) no one can get to her and he's the only one that knows where she is now and and then he we get his flashback which isn't point of view but he has like this epiphany where he realizes there was like a blimp sort of floating around the arena he comes to see that it had a camera on it and then he watches that tape and it's like you know this is where his worst fears are confirmed he's Sees, he literally sees his friend Kevin hand out a bunch of guns to people <laughs> and like the terrorists and everything like that. And so there's like there's no turning back. He turns around and, and like Kevin's like there in the room and, and Kevin's trying to sort of buy him off or he's given his whole big speech, like he's given his Ed Harris speech about how the <laughs> government screwed him, you know, and left them to die. And there is all this and this is for that. We're getting close to the end here. Friend versus friend officially know what each other are up to it's called the first draft of history it's going to hold
2: why did it have to be me why'd you want me next you? one I needed a cop to back up my alibi two I knew you could be bought if anything went wrong no offense pal but I never thought you'd get as far as you did you're my best friend You used me. Made me a sucker. And that hurts me. Because I would have done anything for you. Then tell me where the girl is.
1: Kind of like Ed Harris, Gary Sinise's intentions are sort of justified, right? Like, they're not entirely... He's coming from a place that's, like, good. Like, he's trying to save lives. He's trying to avenge the people that he's lost in his life. But the way that he's doing it is not okay. Like yeah. he sort of needs to be like sit down, like put in time out, be like, "This is bad. Don't do this. You're only going to get more people killed." especially, you know, killing the Secretary of Defense, just stop it.
0: Yeah, like, these, these guys, like, in this and in The Rock, like, they kind of have an interesting point where they're like, you know, these bureaucrats, they're not out there, they're not soldiers, you know, it used to be a time when they were, and, you know, most of them aren't, and they're elected officials, so they don't really know what it's like, and I get that, but what I what they don't have sort of the training for is, like, the tact, right? They're military-minded, so at least in movies, the way they're portrayed is, like, all they know is force. You know, so so they have like this righteous cause but yet they don't have like the means to do it without being seen as a terrorist.
1: And like, they don't have tact also in just in terms of like negotiating. Like he offers Cage like he keeps like it's <laughs> like he's bidding against himself. He's yeah. like, What's it gonna take to keep you quiet? Like a quarter million dollars, $350? three fifty, five hundred? How about seven fifty? How about I give you a million dollars? And Cage isn't saying anything. He's like, I'll give you a million dollars to keep it quiet. And, like, you see Cage have, like, this crisis of faith. This will set himself up. You know, he could probably buy a mayorship for that amount, keep his wife happy, keep his son happy, get his girlfriend that really fancy, expensive coat that he was going to get her. But he's like, no, like, I can't do it. Like, you've crossed a line, you've killed a guy, and Gary Sinise pulls a gun on him. And I'm like, oh, oh, well, like, so much for friendship. Like, this is it.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting, like, how hard Nicolas Cage has to struggle to turn his friend, you know, to at least even accept the idea that his friend would do something like this. And yet, like, Gary Sinise is just, like, willing to murder his best friend, like, right away. Like, it just tells you so much about the two guys. Just like, oh, man, like, how ruthless.
1: And what's kind of funny, I think... It's sort of like a little bit of a twist. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny. I thought it was funny. The muscle, like, he won't kill Cage because he needs to find out what Carla Gugino is. And like we've established, Cage is the only person who knows that. So he can't kill Cage yet. So they're going to rough him up a little bit. And what I thought was kind of funny was that it's not just some goon muscle. It's the boxer. And they go, like, back down on like underground and the boxer just like beats the shit out of him. I thought it was funny that, you know, it's this trained professional fighter who roughs cage up instead of just some like, you know, hired thug. It's this guy's hero, this hometown hero guy he went to high school with, hitting him with like right cross after right cross- bloodying cage to a
0: pulp yeah it's funny because i also thought that tyler was sort of there to save cage like he overheard everything and he's like well what does tyler think about that and then <laughs> gary's is like well he's, he's with me You're like that's my guy <laughs> that's my odd job basically gary's won't even like he's killed people but he won't like throw his own punch yet like he ends up punching nicholas cage once it demeans him to show that he needs some other guy to beat his friend up for him you know what i mean like he won't get those kinds of hands dirty in that way. I don't know. It just made him come across like more of a weasel, you know, at this point. And we finally get to see a boxing match, you know? <laughs> like we really were sort of denied like a look at the match in the beginning. We get a little bit of it during Tyler's flashback in the ring. By the time Nicolas Cage is done getting his ass kicked, I was like, this is probably what he looked like underneath those bandages and birdie, you know? <laughs> like he needs his whole face like reconstructed.
1: What's weird is that like both boxers that we when we finally see them in the ring they're both kind of like dumpy but like one is supposedly the champ you know like the maybe the heavyweight champ so like the champ is kind of in good shape i mean still not really like he's sort of a big guy i mean it's supposed to be a big guy but his opponent is just like a fat guy there's like little details about this movie you're just like oh like that's sort of strange
0: i had some notes on the on the box <laughs> on the champ's opponent like he was the worst like he was just like dancing <laughs> around the ring like waving his arms around like barely through a punch like
1: haunting like crazy yeah
0: it, 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 like i couldn't believe that this guy had a title shot
1: Cage's sort of final act of defiance in this scene is that he Gary Sinise is like I'm gonna give you one more chance and he just spits on his So he just like spits this gob of blood onto Gary Sinise's navy jacket and so he punches me he grabs his head like sort of slams it down But he also implants this tracking chip. And sort of like we were talking about, you know, in The Rock with The Needle and all these different movies recently, this movie does a really explicit job up front of saying, like, hey, look at this tracking chip. I can see exactly where they're going. And at the end of the movie, he just tacks it onto Nick Cage's back, follows Nick Cage as he's looking for Carlo Gugino, and he's sort of, like, stumbling through the underground of this arena, casino, hotel, whatever, and the storm is building outside, and, like, again... Like, this, like, the middle of the movie kind of drags a little bit, but, like, here we're sort of, it's, you know, we have, like, 10 or 15 minutes left in the movie, we have Cage in this huge boxing match, or, you know, Cage getting beat up, sort of staggering to Carlo Gugino, the storm outside's whipping up, and, like, it's kind of getting you excited. There is, like, a return energy here that, as the movie's ending, like, all right, like, something big is going to happen here, like, we don't know if the good guy's going to win or the bad guy's going to win. But, like, something's coming, like, real soon.
0: Yeah, this sort of crescendo is set up really well, cross-cutting between, like, the storm outside getting reported on in sort of, like, a comical manner, but then the really high-stakes situations happening indoors. I'm kind of liking the end here. Like, ever since Cage wakes up from having his ass kicked, like, he wakes up and we see, I guess, the mercenaries at this point, right? They could be considered mercenaries. They're sort of putting the dead bodies into something i wasn't sure what it was at this point turns out that they're putting them in cement in the construction site so that they'll be built into the building at some point and then yeah he's just sort of staggering around uh, trying to get back to Carla Gugino. What I was kind of bummed about was, you're right, they do set up this tracker, but in this movie it's way too obligatory. It's like, hey, check out this tracker, it's going to come <laughs> in handy later on. And I almost wish, like, you know, we talk about the rule of three a lot and, like, they should have set it up, brought it back, and then had it pay off here at the end at some point. But I completely forgot about it. Like, it wasn't even, like, <laughs> I don't know, it never even crossed my mind until the little blip showed up on his radar screen. Screen. I'm like, all right, like that wasn't hard. He just tracks him to Carla Gugino. He's just going to murder both of them. If it wasn't for this storm and sort of like a simple twist of fate, he probably would have gotten away from this.
1: Like you were saying, like they're reporting on the storm. Like the wind is really blowing up. There's like this globe that was on top of the hotel that blows on the ground. There's like police coming. We're sort of ramping back up into excitement into like a movie. I, th- I think is doing a pretty good job. Just like this in this huge climax, right? Like Gary Sinise busts in and finds Kate with Carla Gugino. And then just a police car rolls up, and crashes in, and the police are just there to take care of it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's such, again, like a, like a couple movies recently, like it's this Deus Ex Machina where just like Cage is saved by the hand of God, by the hand of fate. It just feels cheap. It's like a cheap save for his character that he didn't, you know, I mean, he's all bloodied and beaten up. But like, it could have been cool if Carla Gugino empowered herself, like she's got like a pipe or something in her hand. Like, they could have done something, but now, like, the cops roll up. These cops that we haven't seen all movie just crash into where they are.
0: Yeah, I had to rewind this part a couple times just to see exactly (laughs) what happened. It goes by so fast. It is so, like, what did I just look at? So you have, like, this giant globe rolling down the boardwalk because of the high winds, but then this enormous wave comes crashing over the boardwalk. It hits the news van, and the cop car has to swerve, and it just so happens that, like, the door to the construction zone. Is like opening because Gary Sadi shot it out and like, like Nicolas Cage grabs her and they have to duck under like the bumper of the car and <laughs> it's just like over complex. You're right too in that you know Cage needed to like kill his friend even if he didn't want to or like break his rule or someone needed to step up and you're right it does kind of feel like a cop out here toward the end and no matter how insane of a cop out it, it tried to make it
1: the one sort of nice thing about this final scene is that cage gets the titular line like a little bit ago <laughs> yeah. when garrisonese had tyler beat him up he's like hey snake eyes you're you're out of luck just you know a few minutes later he just he gets beat up he sort of staggers around. He sees that the cops kind of have the drop on Gary Sinise that he's in like a no win situation. And he's just like, You got snake eyes. Like he's, in, <laughs> he's completely defeated. And he just drops that line. And it's just, it's so corny. It's such like an action cliche to sort of, you know, say the bad guy's catchphrase. But, like, I just love it. I mean, like, that's just, that's sort of why we're here, you know, for, for Cage to do that kind of thing.
2: Ain't
0: no we, Kevin. You got snake eyes. I thought it was great, like, uh, it was funny, it fit, it was just one of these weird little moments, I almost saw Ed's like this F you back to his friend, because like, even when Gary Sinise says it, it's almost like, oh, come on, man, like, you're that kind of bad guy, like, you got even, you even got like a crappy line up your sleeve when you (laughs) capture the good guy, like, come on, dude. So almost at that moment, I was like, the character Nick Cage was playing was sort of like... Hey, you've been snake guys. Like how, like a taste of your own medicine. Like how <laughs> dumb does that line sound, right, when it's said to you? the
1: action is over gary sneeze is either is he killed or is he just arrested
0: they're reporting outside on the boardwalk when the wave crashes into their you know news van the guy i guess recovers and there's someone with a camera there right like the cops are like put the gun down put the gun down and it's the news guy comes up with the camera and gary sinise sort of like turns and looks at the camera and starts to like walk away and then he just like takes the gun and shoots himself through the chest
1: oh he shoots himself
0: yeah he takes the gun sort of like puts it to, well he turns around so like the camera can't see and he like points the gun at his chest and oh. shoots, and then like the red sort of bleeds through his back
1: i thought the cop shot him because they were threatening to shoot him if he didn't put the gun down it's weird that he shoots himself but i guess it's sort of finally a little bit of redemption like he's a bad guy like let him remove himself from the world
0: yeah i i, I don't know if the even the palma wanted the imagery of like cops shooting some guy in like a navy uniform
1: <laughs> you
0: know seeing like him getting blown away so yeah i think they went the right way here
1: as long as he's gone as long as he's gone and so the movie is essentially over cage gets an award for valor that he saved the day at this arena like it's all sort of told through like a press angle like they have the a tv ceremony of him getting the award they have the news and anchors showing him with his son a well-deserved day off to go fishing with his son and then they cut to the next scene and he's in this yellow sports car sadly not a red sports car but they're like hey like what are these allegations of cocaine he's like i don't know what you're talking about and then like he gets he goes to jail like
0: it's he's indicted like he's indicted it's basically what i what i saw it as is you know since he screwed up the conspiracy like this big plan it's like the people in charge that are still around ruined him you know like discredited him ruined his life and like got back at him for what he did to them his entire reputation has been destroyed now because of what he did so
1: they, they cut to him on the boardwalk with Carla Cugino. Like, they don't really know anything about each other. And they're talking, and he's like, you know, my girlfriend and my wife both ran away. I guess to give the film the happy ending? He's like, hey, maybe in 12 to 18 months I'll give you a call. She's like, hey, I'd like that. And then they kiss. Like, it's a weird, it's a weird, weird ending.
0: It does a really hard job to establish that she represents, like, hope and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and she's naive but optimistic. And he sort of represents like, depression and like, you know the downside of everything and like you should be weary and you can't trust in anyone so they're perfect for each other <laughs> you know i say they complement each other so well of course they should be together especially after that pirate story that he tells her
2: you know they say back two three hundred years ago pirates put phony lighthouses right out by those big rocks right out there the ships would set a course by the lights crash on the rocks and then everybody go out and rob them blind only one thing's changed since then. Lights are brighter. I'm naive.
0: There's worse things to be. Some kind of moral there that I couldn't untangle.
1: At the end of the day, Cage just says, at least I got to be on TV. <laughs> and then the movie ends. <laughs> and the movie, like, there's all there's been all these weird endings in Cage Club, and there's another weird ending here where there's just a bunch of construction workers sort of building the new building, right? Like, they're they're tearing down the old building, building the new one. And they're, like, slowly pushing in on this concrete pillar. And we just see the a ruby red ring. And if, it turns out that that is the pillar where the redhead that was in on the plan, who was shot by Garrison East, like, where she's going to rest for all of eternity. But, like, again, it's weird. Like, it's not really set up well. And you're just sort of like, why? Like, what is going on here? I have to, like, look up why we care. Because there's a bunch of characters basically just doing construction work, and we've never seen any of them before this is
0: one of the most perplexing endings to any movie i've ever seen i I mean they could have just faded to black halfway through this shot and let the credits roll but they end on the ruby red ring and yeah like it was sort of like this object of distraction throughout the movie to a degree like it belonged to one of the five conspirators but they show gary sinney's meet up with her and the other guy and they're like changing out of their outfits into sort of like army gear or something like he refers to them as soldiers i just assume that she took off that ruby ring before she was put into the cement mixer at some point i don't know maybe maybe not and it's like right on the side of the pillar facing out as if like someone wouldn't see it or take it out of there somehow with a tool or something
1: it's real weird and it's sort of a fitting ending where it's like it's kind of it it's a fitting ending and like it's a cool idea that just isn't done well (laughs) like it's close to being cool but it just it just not Yeah, it's
0: clearly symbolizing something, but again, (laughs) I I don't know at this point what what it is. I'm done with it.
1: (laughs) I will stick with Lula's ruby red slippers as as opposed to this redhead's red ring. So a couple things about this movie... Uh, Will Smith was originally offered the role, the Gary Sinise role, but the studio turned down his $12 million demand for this role. You know, pay the guy. Like, he's going to have, like... Pl- aside from the fact that just Cage and Will Smith, like, great. He's coming off Independence Day, Men in Black. He's arguably, you know, the biggest star in the world right now. Like, pay the guy $12 million, especially considering the movie came in at $4 million under budget. If you have money to work with, pay the guy.
0: This would have played so much better if Will Smith was the Gary Sinister role because there's no way I would have suspected him, you know? Like, he's just, like... I enjoy his acting, and I think especially at this period, he was, like, a lot of fun to watch. And, yeah, I just feel like he would have added more dimension to that character.
1: Apparently, they offered. They also offered the role to Al Pacino, and he said no. What?
0: <laughs> he seems a little... Well, I guess I'm thinking of Al Pacino now, but maybe he would have worked. I don't know. It just seems like him and Nick Cage wouldn't have grown up together, uh, you know, <laughs> the characters.
1: The craziest thing about this movie is that there was a different ending. I don't know if you know about this. Nope. But, like, there's some remnants of it that made its way into the version that we saw. There was originally supposed to be a huge tidal wave that goes through the casino. And they apparently created all the special effects. And it was just cut in post-production. But there's, there's still references to it in the film. Like, there's a shot near the end where the ambulance is driving down the Oceanside Road, and there's a wave about to crash into it. Like, you see this massive wave about to hit the ambulance, and just cut away. Another thing is, at the very end, Nicolas Cage talks about almost drowning, and there's references to a storm that are made throughout the entire film. It's all supposed to build up to this, like, climactic, sort of disastrous ending, and they're just like, nah, we're not going to use it.
0: That would have been really bizarre if it turned into like the day after tomorrow for the last five minutes and they just flood Atlantic City and it's just like an extinction level event (laughs) going on there. I have some very loose cage connections that I've picked up on, but I mean, just bear in mind, they're extremely loose. Nicolas Cage, his son in in this movie, his name is Michael. Uh, Mm. Michael is the name of the dead son in Face-Off. That you know? his character shoots. So that was kind of interesting. When he's talking to Gary Sinise in the beginning, he says, You look like Don Ho to Nick Cage. And Don Ho was mentioned in Honeymoon in Vegas when he's like, Oh, just tell me you know, where Don Ho lives. I'm going to Hawaii or Hawaii. <laughs> he's like, I oh, know, somewhere near his house. And then finally, Gary Sinise also says, You know, growing up together, I was always hitting the books and you were always hanging out under the boardwalk. <gasps> and again, it made me think of Birdie, where he was getting lucky compromising a girl under the boardwalk
1: there's no compromising this movie which is sort of surprising considering this movie got an r rating like the apparently the studio wanted to get it down to a pg-13 and stuck with an r they don't really make a lot of use of it right like i guess yeah. it's kind of language i mean there's not too much violence there's really i don't remember any nudity it's sort of like a really kind of tame r rating and cage doesn't get to compromise anybody so it's sort of a, a, a little bit of an unusual cage club movie in that regard
0: yeah you know watching it thinking about that now i could not tell that it was an r-rated movie whatsoever you know that's kind of strange that it is i didn't pick up on any harsh language really i mean the violence isn't very brutal you know maybe it's just for story content or <laughs> whatever that means i would say pg-13 on this one
1: but it was rated r and that's just what it went with um it made money i mean it only cost about 70 million and it made over 100 million at the box office so it was successful but that's it that was snake eyes so for all things cage club you can go to cageclub.me you can read past reviews you can read the review for snake eyes you can follow us on twitter you can subscribe on itunes you can rate and review us there do all sorts of fun stuff i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and we'll see you next time on cage club